0: My biggest advice is just take breaks when you need them. Don't be afraid to say no to things. Sometimes you have to. And just find your rhythm and stick to it and don't let people pull you out of it because if you answer every inquiry and every email as soon as you get it and you're just constantly giving, you'll be taking from yourself.
1: Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Jen Carpenter. Jen is the owner of Dead Time Stories, which is a brick-and-mortar bookstore in Lansing, Michigan that features true crime, horror, and hauntings featuring many different Michigan authors and cases. The store just celebrated their one-year anniversary two days ago on October 16th. In addition to running Dead Time Stories, Jen is the author of Haunted Lansing and the Serial Killer Chronicles of Battle Creek. And she's the creator of a festival of oddities, which takes place in Charlotte, Michigan. And she's the host of the true crime podcast, So Dead. Speaking of which, both So Dead and Juxtaposed Journeys have been nominated for Best Local Podcast and City Pulse's Top of the Town Contest. A link to the ballot has been provided in the show notes. So please make sure to cast a vote and help support all of the wonderful people and businesses in Lansing. Voting closes on October 26th. Our conversation ranges from Jen's ties to the state of Michigan and all of her projects, some of her top podcast influences, and even her experience living in one of the most haunted private residences in Michigan, because, come on, it's spooky season. So get ready to hear about many true crime-centered events in Michigan from the Scream Queen herself as you listen to Jen Carpenter's journey with Dead Time Stories. Alright, so welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast, and first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy evening to sit down and chat with me tonight.
0: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So, we are in the midst of spooky season, so we are here to talk about all things spooky, and I'm so excited for it, and I know that shouldn't be too difficult considering everything that you do, but (laughs) I'll start with focusing on Dead Time Stories, and for all the listeners out there, Dead Time Stories is a brick-and-mortar business in Lansing that features true crime, horror, and hauntings featuring many different Michigan authors and cases. Can you start by talking a little bit about Dead Time Stories and what inspired you to start that venture to begin with?
0: Absolutely. So books and stories have always been a huge part of my life. I've always loved to read. I've been writing since I learned how. Writing stories and poems and books and... All of that. So, you know, I was a big Stephen King fan. I still am. I I don't have as much time to read these days. But I was a big (laughs) Stephen King fan, read a lot of his books, like, you know, preteen, teenage years. And I fell in love with this idea of, you know, having my little, a little bookstore, you know, in a little cute little town on the east coast somewhere you know in Maine or something <laughs> kind of needful <laughs> things inspired and so that's just always been you know like the dream someday when I retire I'll go do this and meanwhile you know through all these other avenues I've kind of built this you know I call it my evil empire um, <laughs> <laughs> do all these things and they're all you know true crime and paranormal related and so An opportunity arose almost exactly a year ago. This time last year, the memories are popping up for me on Facebook about getting ready to open Dead Time Stories. (laughs) But a friend opened a new space for her retail store, and she had some little spaces in the basement, and she offered me one of the spaces to kind of do like a weekend pop-up shop. And I was like, well, you know, what, what would I do? And I was like, well, I've always wanted a bookstore. You know, maybe I'll do like a cute little used true crime i'm big into supporting local authors and i have a lot of friends in the local author community so i was like you know maybe just a a little pop-up and you know use true crime that's all related to michigan and used paranormal and then these local authors and we'll just have this cute little you know little thing going and I didn't really expect for it to take off the way that it did and as quickly (laughs) as it did but we quickly found ourselves needing more space and little did I know at the time because I didn't really look into this it was just what I wanted to do so I did it but I'm pretty sure that we're the only true crime bookstore that there is and I think that's why it's so popular you know we're not a huge shop I I personally go into a bit of panic attack mode when i walk into a bookstore that's just like floor-to-ceiling books too much to look at (laughs) oh yeah kind of kept this more of an open concept very specialized and even though we're not you know huge we get people coming from all over the midwest to visit the shop so it's been really great
1: no that's so cool and i love the aesthetics of the shop personally it definitely has its own charm to it and it's it's not overwhelming it's a good size you can kind of walk around and and browse the different sections and find just so many different assortments of things. I usually just get stuck in the DVDs in the corner and stuff like that because you got a good little selection there. (laughs) Yeah, and so between your books Haunted Lansing and the Serial Killer Chronicles of Battle Creek, the Demented Mitten Tours, and some of the people and areas talked about on your podcast So Dead, you clearly have some strong ties to the state of Michigan. So can you talk briefly about your overall connection with the state?
0: I mean, it's it's where I've lived my whole life. So I'm from Lansing. <laughs> I grew up in Lansing. I live a little bit outside the city now, but it's, it's just always been home. And, you know, when you're a kid, you dream of, like, growing up and moving away. And yeah. now it's like I just couldn't even fathom it. You know, maybe someday I'll winter down south or something. <laughs> but that would be about it. You know, I, I love... Living where I live, I love the seasons, fall is my favorite, obviously, <laughs> but yeah, I just, it, it's so important to me, you know, it, it always boggles my mind when I hear about something, because it's very easy to say, you know, oh, nothing ever happens in Michigan, but a lot of stuff <laughs> <Stuffed> in <laughs> Michigan. And there's so much history that I feel like has gotten lost and has gotten, you know, pushed to the side because maybe it's, you know, especially the stuff that's more on the unpleasant, so the true crime and things like that. But it is important history, and so I do like being able to focus on that because I think that it's, you know, I've I've seen with people that it's very much you can connect with a story more if you can picture it. I've been there. I know that city. I know that town. So for me, you know, true crime is so big right now, and it's something I've always been into, but for me, keeping the focus on my hometown and my home state is kind of what sets the the stuff that I do apart a little bit from just kind of that big catch all true crime community
1: so true and that's what I love about it I was just actually digging through the the so dead podcast and listening to the different episodes and yeah so many different interesting stories there that I never knew anything about and just kind of digging into that and it's it's really interesting and actually I was just listening to another podcast yesterday monsters among us with Derek Hayes and he he had a random fact in there that I found really interesting because there was a some sort of study or something that was done recently. And they were listing the top 10 most paranormal States in the U S and apparently Michigan is in the top 10, but oh, I believe it. yeah, he had some like his personal issues with the, how they came to that conclusion and stuff, because he almost thought it was like a popularity contest with, you know, who's reporting stuff and it comes down to actually who's reporting and witnessing things. So I get it, but at the same time, it, it still excites me because I'm just like, yeah, top ten, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so in addition to your books, Demented Mitten Tour, and podcast I mentioned previously, I know you're also the creator of a festival of oddities, which is a day-long celebration of all things weird and macabre. How has the festival progressed since starting back in 2019, and how was the turnout of this year's event back on September 4th?
0: You know... <laughs> I am not an event planner. I, I mean, I guess I am now, but it was not something I had ever done. It was very much stemmed from the idea that, you know, through the work that I've done, I've met just the nicest, best people. And yeah, it's spooky season, but like we've got bills to pay all year long. You know? <laughs> like, the best artists and authors and creators and so when haunted lansing came out which was actually in 2018 it says 2015 on google and i don't know why i can't figure that out it was 2018. when that came out we did a big release party for it and we had just you know i had a handful of vendors that were artists that make you know baby doll head candles and sell spooky art and things like that and we had like two food trucks on the lawn it was just a very small event but it was a huge event we opened it up to the public so many people came and that told me that you know there definitely was a place for something like that on a bigger scale so 2019 was our first year the venue where we had the first festival was not the best of fits in part because of the number of people it can hold versus the number of people that showed up So we change venues for 2020. We do it out at the Courthouse Square Museum in Charlotte. And of course, you know, never would have predicted that a global pandemic would (laughs) come in and join the party. So we actually did still have the festival in 2020. We scaled it way back and it was more of just kind of like an outdoor farmer's market for spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. But we still did it, and we had a good little turnout in a way that felt safe given, you know, the the odd times. And for 2021, we weren't sure what we were going to be able to do. We just kind of plugged along with, you know, giving people space in mind, and it was it was huge. There was about 10,000 people came out. A lot of our vendors sold out, which that was what was important for me, you know, was supporting – The local artists, our local food trucks, our local small businesses, and people that rely on these types of events that have had a really rough time the past year and a half. So it was great to see you know, so many people come out to support them and most of them sold out of quite a bit of their stuff and it was really great and I'm really looking forward to next year kind of being the first year where we know what we're doing. We're set in our venue, and we don't hopefully have to worry quite so much about COVID <laughs> for next <laughs> year.
1: Hopefully. No, so true. And I find it so funny too because Festival of Oddities came up in my conversation with Colt Slee on episode three of this podcast, actually, because I was interviewing him about everything he does with Oddly Ends and uh Paper Ephemera. Yeah, the name was escaping me. Yeah, because that's primarily what he does with Oddly Ends. And so I thought it was just funny the full, full circle there we had going on right there because I know he's previously involved as a vendor and everything. Yeah, so. I guess the festival was supposed to take place in Charlotte in 2020 until it was scaled back. Was that the original intention?
0: Yeah, yep. So we, we had the Courthouse Square Museum. We had a good relationship with them. The museum manager is fantastic. She is great to work with. It is considered a paranormal location. It's been it's, it's in Haunted Lansing, and it's been in other books and featured in paranormal investigations and things like that. So we worked with them through Demented Mitten Tours. So we already kind of had a relationship there more flexibility more space and a great staff that is able to support this type of event so yeah we had that lined up real quick so we kept the same location we just kind of stopped taking vendors you know they pack quite a few vendors in there for other events and we just scaled it way back we gave everyone the option to you know roll over to the following year if they didn't feel comfortable coming and so in a space that for Frontier Days, for example, which is the weekend after our event, they fit almost 200 vendors. And in 2020, we did like 35 just because we wanted so much open space for people to be able to, you know, keep their six feet of distance and stuff <laughs> like <all> that. <laughs> but yeah, we just we just did it smaller and we removed, you know, we had planned for like carnival games. We had a special guest planned to come that would have brought in a picture. Pretty big crowd. He's actually gonna come next year now, which I'm excited about. <laughs> and we you know, we told him that, you know, we just didn't think it was a good idea adding things that were gonna draw a lot of people in. So we just made some changes, but we still we still rolled forward with it for 2020.
1: Nice. That's awesome. And yeah, I had so many friends on Facebook just posting about being at the Festival of Oddities and just having a blast and stuff. So it looks like a lot of people, you know, went out and just had a great time. So that was really awesome to see.
0: It was a lot of fun this year. And then, you know, a lot of people... So we have specific people that come out. We have Sicken and Scurvy, which is a clown show, like hmm. Spooky Clowns. They come out. They've been out the past two years. And this year we had some haunters from Awaken Haunted Attraction which is down in Leslie come out and walk in the grounds and then some people just show up in costume which is really cool but the, the one that was for sure the most popular was the plague bird <laughs> like a oh, doctor. Oh yep and she just kind of walked around the square all day long
1: <laughs> it was Oh just wow kind of
0: like oh my gosh. <laughs> you know Given the times, it was kind of eerie, but yeah.
1: It was, it was yeah, weird. no, definitely. And it's funny because I always thought those masks and everything and the aesthetics of them were always really weird. And then almost just the truth behind the origin of those masks is even weirder when I found out actually the reason for the design of them and stuff like that. So that's... <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: They're pretty nuts. Yes, I'm sure you've seen this plague doctor get up at some point before, but just in case you haven't, One accessory is a mask that has a bird-like beak protruding from the end of it, measuring roughly 6 inches in length. This unsettling design actually served a purpose, as the beak was stuffed with aromatics such as lavender, dried flowers, or peppermint. These items were believed to counteract any of the bad or evil smells of the plague, and would prevent those who wore the mask from getting infected. The exact origin of the plague doctor uniforms are a bit unknown, it was originally believed the uniform was first used during the Black Plague, but other experts believe it came several centuries later for another plague that was happening in Naples and Rome. Either way, the Plague Doctor uniform gives off very unsettling and ominous feelings today and serve as a symbol to a dark time in our history. The Festival of Oddities is truly the perfect place to wear something like this. But yeah, speaking of the the paranormal that you roughly brought up earlier, I was doing some digging around on your website, and I stumbled across a series of blog entries entitled A Haunting in Grand Ledge, which recounts (laughs) strange experiences you and your family had in the five years of living in one of the most haunted private residences in Michigan. And I'm a sucker for anything paranormal, so I just had to ask. Can you give a brief overview of that experience and some of the most paranormal experiences you ever had living there?
0: Sure. I can say, too, you know, it's very easy to... And I do it. I do it to most people. I say that I don't believe ghost stories unless they're mine. It's (laughs) very easy to write things off and say, oh, that didn't happen, or oh, you're making that up, or oh, you have an overactive imagination. I definitely have an overactive imagination, but we have (laughs) been out of that house for, it'll be four years next month. And I look back on it now, almost kind of like an abusive relationship. Like, I cannot believe we stayed there. I cannot believe we put up with that. And living in a house that does not have paranormal activity, I'm more sure than ever that that house was just, it was just off the charts. I've never experienced anything (laughs) like it. So (laughs) we moved into the house in 2012. And it's not, you know... You think Grand Ledge, if you're not familiar, or even if you are, you're probably picturing, like, some house, you know, set back off the road, maybe on a dirt road in the country. It's not. It's right on Saginaw (laughs) Highway. It's so close to the road that when plows would go by in the winter, big chunks of ice would hit my bedroom window. Like... (sighs) It is right. It's just when people find out where it is, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's the house. (laughs) We moved in in 2012. It's an old farmhouse built in the 1920s. And prior to that, it was part of the farmland of the house next door. So there was actually like an old barn and a chicken coop on the property that were older than our house itself. Our house didn't get built until they broke up that farmland into several different parcels in the 1920s. So Hmm. here's the frustrating thing, right? Like the paranormal activity started almost immediately. I did a ton of work to the house before we moved in. My husband was in the army at the time. He was living in Texas at Fort Hood. And so it was just me. I would, you know, be there late at night painting and doing all this stuff. And sometimes I would let it get a little too late. And I could always tell when it was midnight it was almost (laughs) like an iron curtain like fell down around the house it felt suddenly so secluded i felt so anxious and unsafe and i would go to leave but i was even more afraid to go outside we had this huge yard and again this is right on saginaw highway maybe you know a two minute drive from the highway so it's not by any means in the middle of nowhere and Mm -hmm. yeah so i just i felt very unsettled but i i'm stubborn so i pushed along and moved in (laughs) with my two kids at first just just the three of us before my husband came home later that fall and the very first night that we slept in the house all of the smoke detectors started going off randomly at different times not together at first it was the one upstairs and of course i searched the whole house then it was the one in the main hall then it was the one in my bedroom all night long to the point for the whole five years we lived there, we could not have a smoke detector in our bedroom because it would just go off every night. <laughs> oh, jeez. So that was night one. Uh, and so <laughs> many strange things happened. We were there. I want to say it was maybe September. So we moved in in May. So it was just a few months after we moved in. And one morning I woke up and there were footprints at the end of my bed. They looked like wet footprints, but they weren't wet. I got like human, I took pictures of them. There is no mistaking that they were human footprints. I had to mop them up off the floor. Like it was not, that was the first thing to where nobody could be like, oh my gosh, you're just making it up. You're imagining it. (laughs) You know, I was like, no, look, look. And so we had our first paranormal investigation in October of 2012, just a few months after we moved in. 97.5 was doing, the radio station here in Lansing was Mm -hmm. doing, every Halloween they did a paranormal investigation of a local home, and ours got picked that year. And that was our first of many, many, many paranormal investigations, leading the team that did the most investigations, which they're based out of Detroit, they've been to Gettysburg, they do all kinds of places, and they said that it was probably the most haunted place. Private residence they'd ever done in the state of Michigan. And it wasn't just the house, it was the whole property, which then I understood why I always felt so uneasy outside, just like I did inside. But this isn't a movie, you know, so it's not like <laughs> our house is so haunted. And I go and dig through old newspapers and find that a whole family was murdered there. It, just, it, it does not work <laughs> that way. We never got an answer as to why. The investigations, they'd get tons and tons of evidence, but the historical research that was done by these groups, and then I've done my own since then, that's kind of my thing now, there, it's, there's just nothing out there. And it's so crazy to me because we never got answers as to what was going on, just that it, it definitely was a very paranormally
1: active location. No, that's really interesting, and I'm actually really glad you brought up that, I guess, common trope in, in horror films to where there's so much activity happening in a house, and then they dig through old newspapers in an attic or something, and they're just like, oh, look, turns out an entire family was murdered here, and then they look right. more into it and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre, you have no uh, no major answers on that.
0: Yeah, and it's actually funny because I I actually did have a situation like that just happen very recently, so... I've said before, it's very easy to take a site like, you know, it was part of our tours and it's in Haunted Lansing, the site of the Bath Consolidated School, so the site of the Bath School Massacre. It's very easy to say, okay, well, this school blew up and all of these people died, so of course it's haunted. Let's go investigate it. That's easy to do. It's harder to take a place like our old house that is super paranormally active and figure out the reason why. But I had an event very recently at a local tavern, and I was there doing like a pop-up for Dead Time Stories, so I was selling books. And as I was pulling up, I realized, and I wasn't unfamiliar with the location, it's right downtown, I just had not been there yet. Mm -hmm. I was pulling up and I was like, oh man, this is where that thing happened. There was an article that I found. I was researching something else and I found an article, uh, several articles actually, from the Lansing State Journal in the 1940s and 50s about this really awful, like grisly crime that happened there. So bad that I wouldn't talk about it on the podcast. Like, There's not a way to cover the story that wouldn't just be heartbreaking. It's, it, it is interesting, but not hmm. not in a way that it's a story that you would like tell people. So I never told anyone (laughs) about it, I never wrote about it, I never talked about it, but this happened in the alley alongside that bar. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is where that thing happened that, you know, I've never told anybody about it. So I was there for a couple hours doing my thing, and towards the end of the night, the owners came up and they said, you know, we're having a paranormal investigation here tomorrow night because this place is so haunted and they started telling me about all these things that are happening and I got to have that moment I got to go I know who your ghost is and I got (laughs) to like pull up these old newspapers because it's all digital now right um you don't Mm -hmm. have to go to the library and go through dusty boxes I got to pull up actual like articles and show them like this awful thing happened here and that's why you they thought specifically that they had the ghost of a little boy before i told them that that's exactly who had been killed right in the alley outside the building so Hmm. yeah i got to have one of those moments and it was so cool
1: (laughs) i I love those different moments where it just it's it's like perfectly placed where like i actually know the answer to this and like (laughs) you just jump right in no that's hilarious and i know you mentioned stephen king earlier but do you have any other i guess top authors podcasters or anyone in the true crime realm that's a big source of inspiration for you
0: yeah i mean by and large if we're talking about podcasting it's my favorite murder it's the first podcast i actually ever listened to and at the point that i started listening to it i had already been doing the tours for you know a year and a half two years haunted lansing had already come out i was late to the game starting to listen to it it was actually through doing those things that someone mentioned it to me and i was like oh no i should check that out and just the way that the stories were approached there's obviously a heaviness to true crime Mm -hmm. that i feel is best balanced out with some lightness as well not necessarily, obviously, in the true crime stories themselves, but in the conversations before you get into it, after you're done telling the story. I really loved their style, and so that was the first—people at this point were already telling me, like, you should do a podcast, and I was like, I, no, nope, I hate my voice, I hate my Michigan accent, there's no way. But through listening to them, I was like, oh, it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, they mess up, they make fun of themselves, they make corrections— it doesn't have to be this perfectly polished thing. It's okay to just be you and tell interesting stories about the things that you are interested in and people will want to listen. And so without them, I definitely wouldn't have even considered starting so dead.
1: That's so interesting to me because I actually haven't checked out my favorite murder yet, but now I, I really need to cause I, I love true crime podcasts. It's funny cause the first one that got me kind of, into it a little bit more was Real Girl Stories Online with Tony Brewski and then from there it kind of segued to you know someone told me about Lore by Aaron Mankin. I love those stories he's a great storyteller got sucked up into it and then got even more down the rabbit hole and started listening to Stories with Sapphire by Sapphire Sandalo Monsters Among Us that I mentioned previously with Derek Hayes so it's I'm all over the place with them, but I, I just can't get enough. Yeah. <laughs> but actually speaking of what you said earlier too, I find that interesting because that's something I've learned so far with podcasting as well is is just kind of developing my own voice and figuring out a way that that works for me because it's funny because uh, actually for this show, some of, one of my sources of inspiration was Ologies by Allie Ward, which is, sure. you know, it's you know it's it not a totally it's an interview style narrative for sure but it's you know completely different context but she I can just tell she's very like authentic and like true to herself and stuff like that so I just kind of model that
0: Yeah absolutely that's very important and I do you know unfortunately the the more people listen the more you've got people that are going to come in and be critical <laughs> and so yeah. you know I had someone come in and say hey I'm really tired of the way that you don't take it out when you mess up a word and you start laughing instead. Well, that's just how I talk. Mm-hmm. You know, I I trip over words and it's, trust me, for every one that I leave in the podcast, I've taken out five. <laughs> 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 but it's important that, like... My personality comes through because I'm doing the storytelling you know that's the whole thing mm-hmm. about so Dead is it's storytelling and so I have to be me when I'm doing it. you know there's people that don't like that I swear. I'm 41 years old and I had a woman send me an email asking me what my mother thought of my bad language
1: <laughs> <laughs> And I want to be like,
0: where did you th- where do you think I learned it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah it
0: just you have to be true to yourself and you have to decide what things you know of yourself you're gonna allow in but you can't work to be which is sometimes hard for me because i am a perfectionist you can't try to be so perfect in things that you lose yourself in them because that in podcasting i feel like for me for sure and the co- connections that i've made through so as well is that people feel like they know you and they do because you have to be yourself to establish that kind of connection with people. They forget yeah. that I don't know them sometimes. So people <laughs> <laughs> come up and just start talking to me and I'm like, mm. <laughs>
1: "Who you are?" no, I, I love so much of that. I think being true to yourself is, is really, you know, critical, honestly, like, and I know I'm almost like borderline scared to get to that point to where more people are going to be tuning in and listening and stuff like that, because it's just like, okay, then they're going to, you know, more reviews are going to be posted and things like that. And, you know, can I be able to take the criticism and stuff like that? It <laughs> and it'll
0: get to you. And for every, like, ten wonderful reviews that you get, that one negative one is the one that's going to keep you up at night. I mean, I, I think I've made it pretty clear through every bit of advertising that I do that So Dead is a Michigan podcast. And Mm -hmm. I have people that will comment and say that Michigan accents are so annoying and nobody cares about Michigan. And I'm like, this is very clearly a Michigan-based podcast. Like, it says that (laughs) in the description, why did you even hit play, you moron? So, (laughs) you just have to, like, let it roll off. Yeah, it, it can be hard sometimes. And then there's people that, you know, maybe have personal things that they want to express and they know they can go do it anonymously and publicly on review sites so that can be rough too but if you're doing your thing and you're true to yourself that that wins out every time
1: no for sure i I, i'm hoping that my years working as a server and working in retail have prepared me uh, (laughs) for for the criticism that's going to come with this podcast and help me develop some thick skin so uh fingers crossed that's the case i think you'll be all right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. Now, um, between writing books, running a business, hosting a podcast, and everything else you do, do you have any piece of advice for managing all of those endeavors? Like, do you designate time during the day for writing or during the week for editing the podcast, etc.?
0: I will be honest with you in saying that I am still struggling to find a balance. You know, I worked a eight to five job for 13 years, and I just left it this spring this past spring so all of the podcasting and all of that was done the tours that was all done in my time off so I was working you know 60 to 80 hours a week easily now I am my own boss and I love it so much but I work more because when I get an email I feel like I always have to answer it and even if the store's closed I need to be doing x y and z the most important thing is and I'm, I'm trying so hard to get there myself. You've got to set boundaries and you've got to stick to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not answering emails after this time, no matter what. I'm recording the podcast at this time, no matter what, you know, don't be afraid to. And if it gets too much and this, this happened to me, I hate being inconsistent or unreliable. But when the pandemic started, you know, that, that hit us all in different ways. And I was really struggling emotionally. I was (laughs) watching New Girl all day long because I just wanted to, like, (laughs) live in this, like, happy, carefree, and I didn't want to be researching true crime. So I just was honest, and I said, you know, I'm sorry. I need to take a break, you guys. I need to get my head on straight and find a way to dive into this dark stuff when the actual world we're living in is now even more frightening than that. So, yeah, you just you take breaks when you need them and you do what works for you. And as long as you set those expectations with people, So Dad started out as weekly nonstop. And I, that was not sustainable for me. So now it's every other week a season that starts in the spring and ends in the fall with a couple breaks in between. And do people wish I would go back to weekly year round non-stop? Yes. But <laughs> I have to do what's right for me and my family and being able to make all these other things fit. Cause I don't know what's going to happen when we're able to op- open the tours back up. I'm hoping by spring, we'll be able to get back to those, but that's going to add in a whole new layer of trying to be in 90 places at once. So um yeah, my biggest advice is just take breaks when you need them. Don't be afraid to say no to things. Sometimes you have to and just find find your rhythm and stick to it and don't let people pull you out of it because if you answer every inquiry and every email as soon as you get it and you're just constantly giving, you'll be taking from yourself more than anything.
1: So <laughs> so many great pieces of advice there honestly and balance is something i'm still trying to learn myself too i feel like most of the time i bite off more than i can chew and i have a hard time saying no so those are kind of my my <laughs> vices for sure but yeah no i i think blocking out time is is definitely important too and that's something i've i've started doing myself lately too saying you know at, when this when this time comes i'm going to start doing this or stop doing whatever i was doing i'm going to take a break i'm going to do this and And actually, yeah, speaking of which, I think that's something the pandemic taught me as well is to scale back, like recognize when I'm starting to burn out or just getting very overwhelmed and like, okay, take a break. And it makes a world of difference. So it's something I've been really trying to implement, you know, in my daily routine. So, yeah, no great pieces of advice there. Getting back to Dead Time Stories, I've seen several times in the past, seeing your posts on Facebook, I see that you'll sometimes do special events or book signings with local authors. Is there anything exciting on the horizon of future events or book signings for Dead Time Stories yes. at this time? So we
0: came out pretty strong with those in the beginning. You know, we were doing like a book signing every weekend and they were going great. And then, gosh, I want to say we were open for maybe a month before we were offered the suite next door to Dead Time Stories. And so we kind of stopped doing the author events for a little bit so that we could get the new shop, the Screamatorium, opened next door, which is more like gift items and novelty items and toys and treats and stuff like that. And then by the time we were open there and ready, the pandemic had ramped its way back up to where, you know, trying to squeeze a bunch of people in didn't feel like a good idea anymore. So we haven't (laughs) really gotten back to that kind of stuff. So October 16th was our one year anniversary. So, you know, we, we do like some specials and some sales and stuff like that. But October 30th is our first real author event again. We're still kind of trying to figure out what everything looks like, but there's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on down in Rio town. I believe the artist's umbrella is going to be doing some performances and vintage junkies, which is my neighbor across the street, is going to be hosting an artisan market. And I've gotten some local authors that are going to come in and sell and sign copies of their books. On October 30th. So, Rio Town is going to be a fun little place to swing through during the day on the 30th of October. But that's really going to be our first event with authors again since we stopped doing them in the early spring.
1: No, that's so awesome. Well, now I know where I'm going to be on October 30th. Yeah, so, I so. <laughs> awesome. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you want to touch on before we get into plugins? I really can't think of anything. Perfect. All right. Summarized uh, everything going on in your life right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try. <laughs> awesome. So where can people find more information about dead time stories and anything else you want to plug?
0: I wish that I could say I had a wonderful website up for dead time stories. That's another. Thing. <laughs> the main thing there is that I know with my schedule, the way it is that I would be terrible about shipping, but we're going to get it up and running by the holidays. For sure so there is a website it's deadtime stories 517.com but i would say the best website for it's got kind of links to everything links to so dead which if you listen to podcasts you can find it you know on whatever whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify pandora whatever we're there for sure um it's just so dead but scream queen 517.com has links to everything so the tours which that site's just kind of dormant right now until we can get back to doing them It's got a link to the Festival of Oddities, which we are taking applications for next year for vendors and food trucks. It's got a link to Dead Time Stories, which again, getting that site up and functional before the holidays is is one of our big goals right now.
1: So many great things to look forward to for sure. I know once tours and kind of things become a thing again, I'm really interested in doing that in particular. I know everything's kind of up in the air still with COVID and and everything. You know, there are certain
0: things. It's funny to say, you know, I just hosted a festival that 10,000 people came to, but I'm not comfortable starting the tours yet.
1: (laughs) Right, right. But
0: there's got to be that level of comfort. And the tours, we are on a bus with 30 plus people for three to four hours straight. And so in such a confined space, I'm just not quite there with being comfortable doing that again yet, but I'm hoping by spring. And I'm really looking forward to it, too. That was really the first big thing, and I miss it. The end of our 2019 season was kind of rough. I broke my arm at the end of August, so like the whole fall (laughs) season, I was miserable and in pain. And then our very last tour was on Halloween night in 2019, and there was a blizzard. (laughs) i don't know if you remember that but there was a blizzard on halloween in 2019
1: i think i do remember that now yeah (laughs) i
0: was very much looking forward to getting back to it in 2020 once i was all healed and then of course we just have not been able to yet
1: well i will be looking for the updates on that and obviously post all the links and everything in the show notes for for everything you just plugged there. But no, once again, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time for this. I've been slowly working through the the So Dead episodes. I've been enjoying more about Michigan-based true crime and dark history. Yeah. And like I said before, I love visiting dead time stores. You never get the chance to check out some of the books and DVDs and love the atmosphere and the aesthetics of the store and just being able to catch up whenever our paths cross. So yeah, yeah you so wish you the best in all of your future projects.
0: Thank you, you as well.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. A link to Jen's website, along with other resources, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtapose Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way, which quite a few people have been taking advantage of. Episode slots have been booked for the remainder of 2021, so definitely don't wait to add your name to the list. The Juxtapose Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by R.B. Rowe. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.